This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We're journeying out of Liverpool for this week's episode to Abbey Road Studios to speak to the son of legendary Beatles producer George Martin. As well as being a hugely successful music producer in his own right, Giles Martin worked with his dad on the Love album for the Cirque du Soleil show of the same name. He has since remastered a number of Beatles albums, including the pioneering 1967 record Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. A new Dolby Atmos version of the music is being launched here in Liverpool later this week, giving fans an immersive experience that aims to sound as though the band is playing live in the space. I was lucky enough to experience this in a special preview at Abbey Road before meeting Giles to find out more. I'm Laura Davis and this is Beatles City. So I'm here at Abbey Road Studios with Giles Martin. Thank you so much for having us along. Oh, thank you for coming. I've just been in the studio and had the extraordinary experience of listening to Sergeant Peppers, as it will be in Liverpool. It's quite an overwhelming experience, really. Yeah, I'm, ple- I'm pleased you enjoyed it. I think it's, um, listen, it's just, a, it's just a new way of listening, and it's a new way of listening to old music. But music doesn't get old. Recordings don't get old. I mean, you know, the Beatles will always be the same age when they were captured on that tape. And I think it's a celebration of that. It's almost like time travel. You can walk into a room nowadays through technology, it's like you're in this room with the same people. And it's beautiful. I think it's, uh, I think it's to be an amazing experience for people in Liverpool. Why do you even begin with something like this? Oh, that's a good question. You begin with... Well, you begin with the record. I mean, the, the actual original album made what is it 53 years ago now is an extraordinary piece of work it's an extraordinary piece of artwork really you can now look back at them now i know that you know from my dad being george martin and, and now me working for the beatles i know that at the time they didn't think it would last 53 years and that's the thing about you know people you know painters make paintings artists make recordings you know music musicians make recordings you know composers compose songs and you and they do it for the psyche of the time. They do it because they want to react against something. Sgt. Peppers was that. And I think that you, you start with thinking, okay, this is a moment in time. This Sgt. Peppers Lonely Hearts Club Band is a moment in time that sort of changed the world of music. And that's where you start. You start by respecting in it, but then thinking about, okay, how can we take the listener or take people elsewhere? So you can, you're having a very different experience in that they're thinking about making something of the time but you're thinking about how it's been around for so long and everybody loves it and you're creating something for the future would you say i don't think i'd be that arrogant actually but i, I they've trained me and my dad did i mean my first the first project i did was love which was a um a, it's a, still a show that's going on in vegas now but it was a sort of collage of beatles music which i chopped together and uh, with the guidance of my father and one of the things that the beatles instilled in me um, Paul McCartney especially sort of said you know your job isn't to necessarily respect it 
your job isn't to your job is to work on it your job is to do things with our music and you know this you know um, this immersive audio format this Dolby Atmos format which we're doing at the Tate in Liverpool Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Band was the very first record ever to be mixed in this new format, which I think is brilliant. It's worthy of the Beatles because they always push technologies. They always push, push technology here at Abbey Road, and I suppose my job is to make sure that those boundaries are co consistently being pushed. And for the Beatles, I mean their their catalogue, their work is by far the most successful and heralded popular music there's been, and it's my responsibility to make sure that everyone gets a chance to listen to it. And I think that doing, pushing technology or creating new experiences with people gets new generations involved. And so, yes, I suppose in that way, it's for the future as well. So hearing that you don't have to respect it, although I imagine you do still respect it, is that, was that incredibly freeing for you? Yeah, when I say not respect it, I suppose that what that means is that I'm not trying to replicate what they did 50 years ago. That's not, that's not what my job is. I have to take artistic decisions based on sound because I'm working on a different format. I've got a different canvas, if you like, to work on. Um, and so, you know, if you think about the experience that you just listened to or the experience that people are going to have at the Tate in Liverpool is very different from the experience of 1967 when you had a mono speaker in your house and you'd listen to you know, Sergeant Peppers with, you know, with really no, not many high frequencies or low frequencies, even though they're there on the record. Um, so I'm sort of working a different format. And that means that I suppose in a way, I, my approach to music is always that it's never quite how you remember it being. Um, and I try and make it so it's how you remember it, but it's not quite that. I, I miss, I mean, I worked on this, um, Olivia Harrison employed me to do a George Harrison documentary called Living in the Material World. And uh, it was directed by Martin Scorsese. And they hired me and then she fired me. She said, uh, you know, Martin, Martin doesn't like your revisionist approach to music. And I went, oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with Martin Scorsese. And then about a month later, they phoned me up and said, the music doesn't sound how we, how we remember it. And I'd done a mix of All Things Must Pass in 5-1 at that stage for, for the movie. Mm -hmm. And I met Martin Scorsese in London and I said, there's two buttons here, you can choose which one is the one you remember. And he went, this is how it should sound, this is what I remember. And of course, that was the mix we did for the film and the one that he didn't like was the one from the vinyl record. Wow. And that's what you mean, you know, if, if it's, it's, it's our, our, our tastes and our expectations have moved on. If you imagine... It's, the greatest example is actually if, if someone watches a a highlights reel from a sports or an Olympics or a football match, the FA Cup, whatever it is, or the last time Liverpool won the championship, if you remember it, you don't remember the pictures being that bad. And music is the same. And so you kind of expect it to to sound amazing. Uh, so if that's that, the difference. That's People the remember difference. it yeah, you re sounding better. Yeah, you remember it sounding better because we fill in the gaps. It's like, you know... I'm old enough to grow up on AM radio, but then FM radio came along, and we loved the songs, we loved the music. I had a, a cassette Walkman, which wasn't a posh Walkman, it was like made by a company that doesn't exist anymore, that only had fast-forward on it, and those little orange headphones, and, and I listened to Lloyd Cole and the Commotions, or bands like that, 
on my cassette player and then it sounded the best it's ever sounded but of course it pretty sounded terrible yeah but we fill in the gaps and so in a way what i do is fill in the gaps and then and then uh when kids hear it it doesn't sound like it's something their parents should listen to they discover it for the first time if that makes sense because mm -hmm. it doesn't you know m you know recordings don't get old we get old Recordings stay the same age. You know, that's that, that's their, their time capsules, as I said before. So yeah. my job is to go, okay, open this time capsule and you're back in the room with them. So I often feel quite envious when I interview people about the Beatles and they talk about going out and getting a record and playing it for the first time and it being completely new. Because for me, it's, the music has just always been there. But that's sort of, sort of what you're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like, you know, you sort of listen, it, listen to it again, but for the first time, in a way. Mm. You know, you just listen to Sergeant Pepper in there. And I, I bet it was a different experience from if you just you know that album. You know, you heard things before you hadn't heard or felt differently. Mm. And that's what we were kind of trying to do. And the experience of just sitting and listening to it as well. Well, that's another thing. That's the funny thing that, you know, that people like me get credit for. But you just lock someone in a room. You know, they have no choice. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, when I did the Cirque show, which is now 13 years ago, I was concerned that, you know, because it was the first big show that was just reliant on playback and no additional musicians. And and I was concerned how people would react to that. And I went to a big top, which Cirque du Soleil were making in Montreal, mm. to go and play yesterday. Because I knew I wouldn't be able to do anything with yesterday. I mean, I'd remix it and you know, put the strings in surround or whatever, you know, try different things with it. But it's, it's going to sound like yesterday. And uh, I just played the CD through a PA system. And everyone was working, and they all just stopped and listened. It was just loud. Really, they just I, paused. I hadn't done a thing. I was just playing the, playing the record that the Beatles made. And it's that it's that thing. It's that thing of, you know, we 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 hear music, we don't listen to it. You mm. know, that we look at our phones, we need visual impetus. I'm guilty of it as much as anyone else is. You know, and not not that there's any right or wrong, but sometimes. It's a bit like meditation in a way, isn't it? Sometimes it's nice to only rely on one sense and then you free up your other senses to wander off and do other things. Mm. So if you're just listening and not looking, you're, 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 I suppose part of your brain is freed up from that strain and you, and you get taken to other places. It's a bit like reading a book. Mm. So um, practically, how did you go about remixing the album? Well, practically, it was it was challenging. I mean, one thing we can do first up, which I knew from the beginning, you know, back from when we did Love, actually, is we can take the... So, Sgt. Pepper was recorded on a four-track, four-track, one-inch tape machine, and then it was bounced. So, um, you know, you'd, you'd record, or they would record, Little Help My Friends, I think, is piano, bass, drums, um, and guitars on four-track, and then that's bounced down to another track. Or maybe not bass on a separate track, and then so vocals are added. Into one and so we can put them into so we can use the four by four, so we have more tracks than they had to choose from. Mm -hmm. And then because it's Dolby Atmos, sometimes we'll. The appealing thing about a an immersive audio system is you can actually put people in the room with the band, but no one really recorded the room, the sound of the room. So we'll go back to Studio Two, and we might play the instruments back through Studio 2 and record the walls. Oh, okay. Um, so we create more tracks. So we create ambience. So opposed to it being an effect, it's real. It's the, because Studio 2 
which we're next to now, hasn't changed. You know, hasn't changed in years. I and mean, it hasn't changed since the Beatles were in there. Mm. So it's the same room. So we can, with, with good speakers and, you know, good microphones, record the walls of the room. And so we can put you in the room of the band. And that's the one thing you get from listening to this and experiencing it. You feel sort of closer to the music. And to be honest with you, in a bizarre way, it's almost stripping back layers of technology in order to get you closer to it. I mean, if you get a Beatles 4-track now um, and put it, on a put it on a tape machine and press play, it sounds remarkably fresh and clear. Um, there's all those processes that go between to make it onto a record, make it onto a vinyl record, there's a lot of process involved. You know, you have to, you know, it, it's, 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 there's lots of copies done where... In a way, the reason why this sounds so fresh is it's almost from farm to table, as the Americans would say. Mm. And was there anything that surprised you about the music when you were listening back to it? With Sgt. Pepper's, um, actually how well it was recorded. In a f lots of ways, you know, because I then did the White Album after that. I've now mm. just done Abbey Road. Sgt. Pepper's was beautifully recorded, you know. You know, a better recording than most recordings that happen now. You know the quality of everything on it is is amazing. Um, not in not overall. Some some tracks I remember. Uh, you know, "Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds" is a is a funny recording in a way. I said to my dad, "It's not doesn't sound as good as the others." He goes, oh, "We did it very quickly." He said to me, <laughs> "Fixing a Hole" was done in other studios, and has a certain sound to it. Um, but yeah, it's that. It's the it's the it's it's a it's a record. You can see that from the outset, there was a t t determination to make a different record. And they had a blueprint, they had a plan, and they stuck to their plan, and that's what they did. The White Album was basically just jamming in a room and let's come up with a bunch of songs, where, mm -hmm. where Sgt. Pepper's was very meticulous. So when you're, when you're looking at it like that, then you're thinking about it as a whole. You're not, when you think about the album, you're not going... I'll deal with this track and then this track. You are thinking about the whole thing, isn't it? Yeah, but it's weird, Sergeant Pepper. It's a bit like, all these albums, a bit like Stockholm Syndrome. You sort of get, you know, you... you know, I don't listen to the records unless I'm working on them. You know, um, we don't listen to them at home. It's funny, Mike, you know, before I said the White Album, I asked my wife and kids if they could name any song off the White Album. They couldn't. I mean, they're not... It's not part of their world. It's interesting. Mm. So it's not as though I take it home with me and Sergeant Pepper's, I um, I just found it amazing. It's, it is a bit like Stockholm Syndrome. You sort of feel like you're, you're chained to a radiator and you, and you fall in love with the, your captor. And I felt that with Sergeant Pepper that you suddenly realize that there's layers of respect you get for it. And as I start from the, you know, say from the point of <laughs> respect, which isn't true, but as far as, far as it sound-wise, um, you then you go, you go into um, this world where you're you're thinking, okay, who would put within you without you, and then follow that by when I'm 64. You know, no band in their right minds would have such an eclectic mix of songs on an album that is so eclectic that it kind of makes sense as a whole. Mm. You know, there's no singles on the record. Um, if you think about the iconic songs that are on that album, and you know, we we talked we talked for a while about when we remixed it about um, Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields a lot of fans going they need to be on that album and I sat down with Paul and we talked about it and 
it's like well, where would you put it you know you know where do you know it you know you're kind of that's how it is mm. um so you, you uh, it's it's a bit like it's a bit too gruesome it's a bit like um you know opening up a 50 year old body but finding out everything is perfectly in place and incredibly healthy that's what working with Sergeant Pepper was like <laughs> Did you work closely with Paul and Ringo on it? How involved were they? Um, we work in a way where I'll go off and do the work, um, and then I'll then we, then we get together and I'll play it to them, and go through everything with them, and go and visit them. I'll play them stuff in, in Ringo. Lots is in LA a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. With this uh, Atmos mix, Paul came up and listened to this with Mary, his daughter, who I'm good, really good friends with. And uh, it was great, actually. It was really, it was a really sort of emotional experience. It's, it's, um, they, they know that, you know, I, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily sort of necessarily further my career. It's not as though I go in Hollywood saying, yes, I'm the guy who mixed the Beatles records or, you know, it's not a, um, they know that I love them and I love the music and, and there's, they're incredibly kind to me about, about, about you know, giving me the freedom at the same time. I, I know what they sort of like, if that makes sense. Because you've known them your whole life. Haven't yeah, you? yeah, um, and I know Yoko and Olivia very well as well, um, and they have to look after their their husbands' legacies in a way. So mm. they are they are powerful, and 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 but there's a we have a momentum behind it, which is you know it's been over 14 years 13 years that I, longer than the Beatles were going that I've been working on their music um, passed down from my dad I guess um, and so it's a it's a fairly easy relationship and it, the great thing about it is it's not there's not um, there's no other voices it's just it's them and it's me and that's it there's no record company meetings or playbacks for A&R people I mean I did this I did this film Rocket Man this year. Mm. Um, I did all the music for that, and we did a soundtrack album. The soundtrack was like twenty six songs. I had to get them done really quickly. And while I was in the film, there's an A and R team who were great, but they're like going, "At one minute twenty six, we can hear some sibilance on the vocal." And I said, "I thought, what is going on? Why are these people giving me opinions?" I mean, of course they're probably right, but it's like it was completely <laughs> unusual for me. I don't normally have that. Yeah, it was really weird. And I said, she said to me, "Listen, I can't work like this." I mean. It's not going to be perfect. That's all I can say. I don't make perfect records. What do you want me to do? Could you have done Sgt. Pepper and the other albums and not been your father's son, do you think? Did that give you a freedom or access, maybe? Yeah, listen, I think that... The better way of asking that question is, could anyone else do a better job than you? And I think, yes, they could. There's lots of really good people around. I mean, I know some brilliant mix engineers and, you know, musicians and, you know, yeah, of course people used to ask what's it like having George Martin as a dad and you go well I don't know I don't really know anything else it's a weird you know it's a it's a strange thing isn't it it's like you know it's like me asking you you know what's it like having your dad as a dad what would it be any different if you had a different dad mm. and it's be hard, a different person wouldn't it, you yeah, it's a hard thing to answer I you know absolutely there's an acceptance both within the Beatles and outside of the Beatles especially more so I think that oh well this makes sense there's like a fit for everyone you know, i got nothing about it i sort of sound like my dad i look a bit like my dad it's like you know and it's a it's a weird thing and the last thing i i was lucky that in a way I, it happened late in a way i was 30 
32 or 33 when I was when I when I started work on Beatles stuff mm. or maybe later than that you'd um, already proven yourself at that point well to a certain extent I mean I'd, I'd had I sold records and stuff like that um, but I think that you know <laughs> I think it's more the psycho psychotherapy than that you know I didn't have to you know there's a, there's a it's funny I produced an album with Paul um, an album called New it was funny doing that because he's the one person bizarre that doesn't compare me to my dad in a strange way because he knows us both really well if that makes sense mm. I'm a separate entity to him he said to me he said you know it was incredibly kind he said you know we've he was actually religious as Sergeant Pepper he said you know this is he goes this does sound this sounds great this sounds amazing you know we're a really good band I said yeah I said these sounds yours he goes no we're we're really lucky to have your dad and we're really lucky to have you and I said well listen Paul I'm pretty lucky that you asked me to do this and he goes well I think we're all lucky aren't we and it was just a really sweet conversation mm. and there's no doubt that I wouldn't yeah I wouldn't they wouldn't I got the job because of my father's son I think also without something cocky I probably if I couldn't do it I probably it's not it's not it's not a charity you know, oh, no. the, the Beatles are quite be hardcore. Oh no, you wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't. You wouldn't survive. You know, you're dealing with, and you're dealing with. To be honest, with you take the Beatles to one side. You're dealing with the fans as well, and the forums, and the people that, you mm. know, that you know, Mrs. Trellis from what is the, What's the thing? <laughs> Give us a clue. Mrs. Trellis from Wales writes in. You know, there's you. You get, and I was surprised. In fact, Sergeant Pepper was the first album remix we did. And I was really unsure whether I wanted to do it, actually. And my father had just died. Mm. And I said to the Beatles, I said, listen, let me go in and do some tracks. This is the stereo, this is before the app was. Mm -hmm. And uh, and see whether it's worth doing. Because if it's not worth, let's, why are we doing this? That's not, I'm not, my job isn't to make Beatles ashtrays or wigs or, you know, so that's not my job. My job is to see whether, if this is worth listening to. And I was surprised, you know, through the technology and through having to, use the previous version of the four tracks if you think about it, we're mixing from uh versions of four tracks that they'd never mix from you know they're actually bizarrely fresher tapes than they use when they made the record because they're not copies and i phoned them i said this could be quite good we could we could do this and that's the way it worked and and then you think you know how's it, how people going to react to this and then when the the sergeant pepper remixed album came out i think at that year it got 100 percent metadata critics and I it didn't get any I mean probably should do but didn't get any criticism you mm. know everyone everyone was happy and 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 that was like I mean you move on you don't really think about that but at the same time you think well you know maybe maybe there's something beyond just being my my dad's son that's worthwhile do you know what I mean yeah and being here in Abbey Abbey Road and your role here now I mean did you imagine that did you did you grow up coming into the studio did you know it no, well? No, I spent a lot of time at Air Studios, which is the studio. My dad moved from Abbey Road and built Air Studios, which is mm. originally Oxford, Oxford Circus, and then they moved to Hampstead. And I, still, I was up there working Thursday, Friday this week, last week, mm -hmm. on another project. Um, and it's a lovely place as well. I didn't, I didn't really come to Abbey Road. I came to Abbey Road when I was 19. My dad was worried about the brightness. And my dad started losing his hearing because he was worried about the I was his ears. He's worried about the brightness, the red and the blue albums, the reissues, and I came in to talk to him about it and met an old 
an old engineer who thought I was some young upstart, you know, which I probably was. <laughs> and that was the first time I came to Abbey Road, but it really wasn't my home. I never thought I'd work on Beatles stuff. I had really no ambitions to. I didn't, you know, I helped on the anthologies a bit because, again, I was working for my dad. I was his ears, but it was never a thing. I didn't think. It was just purely the... There was a lot of mashups going on at the time, at that time in 98, 99, wherever it was, I can't remember, 2000. Um, maybe two, yeah, no, no, it was later, 2002, I suppose. And uh, and Cirque and the Beatles had done this deal to do a show, and I, my father was very ill, and Neil Aspinall met because I just had some success with the record. And I said, I, can make a, I reckon I can make a concert that never happened just using the tapes and chopping them up. Mm. And that was my first, but I thought that'd be a, a fun thing to do. I didn't think it would ever happen. I thought I'd just get fired, you know, <laughs> and I really did. I just presumed I'd get fired, and that was the. I just thought well, this would be a laugh, and you know, and 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 here I am now. Yeah. So it was never a thing. Yeah, it was never. It was never. I didn't didn't even didn't even. It's it, it's kind of a, like a reluctant, but at the same time, I'm deeply privileged. But do you know what I mean? It's not like, you know, I can't I can't go. I remember after I didn't get fired from Love and it got the green light, so I did three months without getting paid, you know, trying out stuff. Mm. And a really good friend of mine, this guy called Chris Sheldon, who's a mix engineer, he's done Foo Fighters and stuff like that, he's a really good engineer producer. And I phoned him up and I said, it's weird, I've been asked to do this Beatles stuff. I don't think I should do it. And he said, what do you mean? I went, I mean, if I do this, this is what... Because you know, you know that people like the idea, you know, and it's quite poetic yeah exactly and he said to me and he's really good he goes well if you don't do it I'll do it and I thought all oh, right okay this is I'm really lucky to be offered this opposed to some spoiled petulant child yeah and it's really it's really and that's the thing if you have a, a father who's like a legendary producer you know your your levels of expectation are so much higher than someone normal I mean you know, I got got nominated for a Grammy last, at the end of last week, and I forgot to tell my wife or tell anyone because I didn't. I just didn't think it really was that. And then she goes, "You get on for a Grammy?" I said, "Yeah." She goes, "Well, oh, I forgot. I forgot to mention it." Yeah. And then, you know, because you because your level of you know, my dad's George Martin. It's like you can't win. <laughs> you know, it's really. <laughs> but weird you still win. went into the same. Yeah, but that's because I love music. Yeah. You know, I love, I love, I love me, I love sound. I love doing. I love the fact that we can celebrate, you know, that I can stand in front of you and go, this is, this is, this, or do something up in Liverpool. You know, I love Liverpool. It's brilliant. And, and do something up with the Tate and go, you know, families can walk into this space and enjoy the record and go, and they, 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 I don't think they'll think about the mix of the technology. I hope they don't. I just think, I just hope they hear it. They think about how, the sound and simplified by four blokes in a room created this sound that emanates and will affect them and gives them to think about later on. And if you can pass that on, that that's what you do it for. You don't do it because then you go home and you you know you, you watch something on television and get, go to bed. You know, it's like you know. But that's the life. It's but it's great. And is it important that you that you're bringing this to Liverpool in particular? Yeah, I think it's really important. I think that. I think that it's important to the Beatles as well. You know, Liverpool is their home. They have ties there. They have, um, and it's a city of culture. 
you know, it's not just the Beatles, but it's a city of culture. And it makes sense, it, you know, in the same way you asked me a question about, you know, me being George Martin's son and working on the Beatles music, it makes sense for this be the first, Liverpool to be the first place that people get to hear this. And in, you know, it's ambitious what we're doing, but I think it'll be great. If you're enjoying Beatles City, please remember to subscribe, rate and review it on your favourite podcast app. Join us next week when Ellen will be back from her holiday to tell us all about meeting a Merseybeat musician whose career took a wrong turn. <laughs>